May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The rumor is that there was a falling out between John and Paul, a falling out over substance more than style. Um, they say that John wanted to get deeply philosophical and, people, and, and that Paul wanted to make people feel warm and fuzzy, that one wanted to shake the world and the other just wanted to make people smile and feel good. I'm not talking about the apostles, John and Paul. I'm talking about the Beatles, John and Paul. Yeah, um, it's been suggested that the band broke up because they wanted to sing about different things. And so not long after the breakup, you get this, um, this line from uh, John Lennon, imagine there's no countries, I'm not even going to talk about the grammar of that, imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. imagine all the people living life in peace. And then, about the same time, you get this line from Paul McCartney. You'd think the people would have had enough of silly love songs. I look around me and I see it isn't so. Some people want to fill the world with silly love songs. And what's wrong with that? I'd like to know. (laughs) They both have a point, but I don't think it's the point they thought they were making. I think the point that they made is that poetry is powerful. That poetry is powerful. And for obvious reasons, I disagree with John Lennon's um, uh, song Imagine in terms of its content. Um, he seems to stipulate that religion is as destructive as nationalism. I think that's not true. I think it's easily disprovable. You know, I, I, there's, there's no way that that's the case. But what's hard to argue is he makes it seem like it's true because of the power of poetry. Likewise, it's hard to argue with Paul McCartney. What, in fact, is wrong with filling the world with silly love songs? I mean, I, for my part, would also like to know. What's wrong with that? It seems that people often deprecate poetry. The poet's work is trivial and insignificant. Um, There's a collection of poetry I have that someone gave to me about ten years ago, written by a fellow whose name is Killian McDonald. Killian McDonald began to write poetry at 75 years of age. Um, what makes him really interesting to me is that he's a Benedictine monk and a theologian. Father McDonald started writing poetry after reading a poem in the New Republic, and he says to himself, I think I can do as well. <laughs> and so he picks up his pen and begins to write poetry. And in this collection that I have, he writes this poem entitled, Killian Does Not Have Enough to Do. Um, it goes like this at the beginning of it. In my monastery, an old monk said, Killian does not have enough to do. He writes poetry. (laughs) Can you hear the snark? Killian does not have enough to do. He writes poetry. Killian McDonald had written scores of books and scholarly articles on ecclesiastical theology, on abstract theology. Um, He had written so much as such a scholar of, of renown, and no one ever complained about any of those books. But when he picked up his pen to write poetry, suddenly he was loafing about with nothing really important to do. In his little poem that Killian does not have enough to do, Father McDonald responds uh, to his critic, his elderly critic, with eight stanzas, each one mocking uh, his, uh, his deprecation of poetry. And then in this one, he says this. He says, poetry is groping in the highest hollow of the cavern 
giving body to the blurs our fingers seem to touch. I really like this, that poetry makes real what is sublime, and it does it in a way that prose never can. In the Old Testament, there was a a lot of poetry um, that was written. Uh, One of the most master poets, Isaiah. Isaiah writes in prose, too, but he is really expert at poetry. He paints an image with metaphor and simile, uh, with parallelisms and psalms that is uh, really unmatched in, in, in Hebrew poetry. And in today's lesson, in today's Old Testament lesson, He's, he's speaking about a time. You, you, you locate this poem in an actual historical event. The time was the destruction of Jerusalem. The Babylonians had destroyed the city. They tore down the city walls. They murdered many of the inhabitants of the city. They looted all the wealth. They took the people who were remaining as captive, hostages, back as exiles to Babylon. And then in a final act of insult to their injury, they burned to the ground the temple in Jerusalem. As Isaiah writes these poems, this is the situation. It's not just dire, it's hopeless. Israel's enemies have triumphed over them. But even worse than that, God has abandoned them. And the poet cries out, Oh, that you, he's speaking to God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Eugene Peterson says, You would rip open the heavens and descend. Have you ever been there, you know, (laughs) where you had an enemy so under your skin that you almost wish that God would rip open the heavens and come down and set things right? Suffered such a cruel injustice. Um, I always kind of imagine it like, you know, like Clint Eastwood. (laughs) When Clint Eastwood comes into the into the saloon, you know, to to get the bad guys and he's got, you know, bust open the doors and the. You know, that music right there plays, and you know how it goes, too. And, and he's got the guns, and the bad guys cower in fear. Wishing that on your enemy? And don't look at me like that, because you have. My mother has a little sign in her kitchen that says, Dear God, if you can't make me thin, will you at least make my friends fat? Um, this is what we reserve for our friends, you know? Well, what do we do for our enemies? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. What would it be like that you that the mountains might quake at your presence, that when fire is kindled in brushwood, at a fire that causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence? Oh, yeah. Bring it on. But then Isaiah tweaks this a little bit. He says, behold, you were very angry, and we sinned. In our sins, we have become a long time, and and we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. This is the big problem, isn't it? For Israel, it's not just the foreign invaders. It's they themselves, the people of God. They themselves had had so, uh, you know, immersed themselves in their own sinful behavior, they had only themselves to blame. No one was rousing themselves to call upon God. 
The best thing anyone had to offer was something like filthy rags. So here's the problem. Here's the problem with God ripping open the heavens and coming down. He sees us first. (laughs) He sees us too. We too are caught in that net. Oh my word, what will happen? What hope do we have if God rips open the heavens and comes down? But now, O Lord, the poet says, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. The only hope for Israel, the only hope for the people of God, was that God would remember that they belong to him. Do you hear the relationship? We are your children. You are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. Be not so angry at the clay that you just pound it down. But rather take the clay and reform it, remold it. The genre of this poem that Isaiah is singing here in in this chapter of of his uh, prophecy is called a communal lament. It's not unlike uh, the the um, the communal lament that was the, the psalm chant today. You know, oh Lord, come and save us. We're in real trouble here. Or like psalms like forty four or sixty or seventy four. Listen to the one of this. This is forty four. But you, O God, have rejected us and disgraced us. And have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe. And those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for the slaughter. And have scattered us among the nations. It's a communal lament. The people learn how to say, oh my, we're in trouble. Oh God, when are you going to help us? Things are really bad down here. Aren't you paying attention? Life is tough and rough. But Isaiah tweaks the formula. It's not just the enemies. It's we ourselves. It was us all along. We had sinned. We are the ones who are to blame. Advent isn't just about the countdown to Christmas. As Bella reminded us just a minute ago, it's about the countdown to the return of the Lord. It's about taking time in our lives to be introspective, um, to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. So that we, we say to God, oh, that you would come down and fix our problems. And we have lots of problems, you know. Do you have problems? I have a few. You, oh, that you would come down and fix our problems. That we would say, oh, and sometimes I am my own biggest problem. This is the problem. I can never get away from me. Everywhere I go, there I am. Right? And so what I need is not just that someone fix all the outside things, but fix this right here, because here's the honest truth. We have far too often sought money and power instead of justice and peace. We far too often have treated people like objects rather than living souls. We have all been far too slow to pray and too quick to judge. We have all forgot about protecting the weak and vulnerable. We have all far too often thought that our opinions were right and everyone else's opinions were wrong. We have far too often congratulated ourselves in our arrogance instead of taking on the humility of Christ. We have all far too long lived with the values of the world instead of the priorities of God. And we have far too often chosen sin over righteousness, self over others, and cruelty over kindness. 
I can speak for you in this way because I can speak for myself and say that I, too, am right along with that. None of us, Isaiah says, are righteous. Not one. St. Paul picks the very line up in the New Testament and says it all over again. All of us like sheep have gone astray. But we are not bereft of help. God is our father. He is our potter. And so one more poem from Killian McDonald. This one is called Nursing Home Chapel. I imagine Nursing Home Chapel. God lives down the corridor, he says, last door on the left. At nine, I bring the wine pressed from the defiant grapes of five and eighty years. For bread, the mud cakes of my day, carefully burnt in the sun. The wheelchair cannot strut, and the brag is gone. But these gifts I lay upon the altar and see God bending over my small mess with infinite delight. Oh, but for the grace of God, there is no hope. But there is indeed hope because the grace of God is available. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.